selling your company. It's an outcome that can be considered the closest thing to the finish line for an entrepreneur. So why is it memoirs aren't written about the amazing vacations founders take post-exit? Or movies made about a midlife retirement and endless days on a beach in Thailand? Because to a founder, that sounds awful. In this episode, I talk to Joe Keeley about the emotional and practical inventory taking a founder goes through after making the decision to sell his or her company. And the battery of questions that all point to figuring out this. What's next? And even, who am I? So Joe, welcome to Future Fit Founder. When are we going back to? Well, let's go back, uh, you know, three, four years. Um, I sold my first company, which was a company that I had grown for 18 years. I had started it while I was a, uh, an undergrad at university. So selling that company and exiting from that was a was a public journey and it was a bit of a shock to the system because you know when you do anything for 18 years it starts to uh, feel like it's part of you hmm so 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 this is kind of going back three four years you've sold your business how, how are you feeling in this moment you know growing a company I think is a little bit like raising children and it was a little poetic in the fact that I grew this one for 18 years similar to maybe launching stuff some someone off to college and so <laughs> growing a business I would I would say like parenting is one of the most you know exciting rewarding exhausting um, most difficult most fun things you can do so putting an end uh, uh, the final chapter on that brings forth very similar emotions so if you were to sort of pull out one emotion the strongest, you talk about excitement, what's your sort of overriding feeling in this moment? Oh, I would say it's excitement. I mean, you know, it, it was, um, for, for me anyway, it wasn't a, a forced event. So I chose to do it. I think that's important. Um, so ultimately, it's something that I thought that I wanted, and I did. And ultimately, I would do it again. You know, I would say it's overarching, you know, excitement, but there's a lot of moving pieces. You know, you have a, a team. We had hundreds and hundreds of people wanted to make sure that they were OK. And, you know, it wasn't for quite a while until I said, well, what just happened? <laughs> so so in this moment we're going back to kind of you had the sale, you're feeling excited. And now now you're in this moment of like what just happened and the sense of of what's next. What what is next for you in your mind? What's going through your head in this moment? You know, there's certain emotions that come into that. You know, there I, I definitely, you know, there's a contrast between I felt like I want wanted to or even ought to, you know, take a significant amount of time away uh, and just off. You know, I, I fantasized with this academic nature of a sabbatical. It's a very you know fancy word. But then there's also this inward pressure and somewhat outward of staying relevant and, you know, not letting the world pass one by. Now, granted, it's, you know, there's greater tragedies in the world than selling one's company and then determining, like, you know, what should I do with myself? But I think it's a it's a real challenge. When I sold my uh, my company, I was 36. I had a a couple of years where I needed to do an earnout, so still, you know, 
God willing, relatively young. You know, so so that poses a unique challenge, whether it's half time in one sort of formidable working years, as does, you know, I think when folks choose to retire, you know, work has been a major, major part of their life and purpose and worth and those sort of things. So I think all of that was sort of mixed into a bowl. And I was, uh, you know, I'm thinking about it. So if we if we look at that ball of emotions, what is the thing that is jumping out for you in that moment? I mean, there's, there's lots going on. But if there's one dominant aspect, I knew I wanted to, you know, take some some time, and I also knew that I wanted to get back into business and and. And then one of my my concerns, like, okay, what is that going to look like? I've had a success. That's great. And it was one that was sort of tried and true and over time. But, you know, there's a bit of a concern, like one is not a trend as well. And mm. what does the next thing look like? And should it be the route that is go into the same industry, maybe stay on with the larger public company that bought us? You know, that was a path, you know, go into a similar industry where I, I had 18 plus years of experience. Or should I do something entirely different and new and where there is maybe a little bit more excitement, mm-hmm. uh, but also there's a little bit more unknown. And I would say maybe a greater, greater risk in learning, reinventing. And so it's sort of balancing that. So there's a sense of on the one hand, it's kind of like doing it once. I mean, I can do it again. And the safe route is to stay in a, in a sector that I know about, maybe with the same company, stay on. Or there's this test yourself, go into the unknown. Which are you fundamentally feeling more attracted to? I would say that most entrepreneurs that I've met are actually not the sort of gunslinging risk takers that the media likes to make them all out to be. Most are are more calculated risk takers. So I would say that the waiting is, you know, doing something that I would be successful at, you know, which I think if you stacked the deck, doing something that you've had, you know, well more than 10,000 hours of practice and industry expertise and knowledge is the de facto. But can't help but saying like, wow, having this halftime, so to speak, in life and the freedom and flexibility to go and frankly do almost whatever I'd want and still with a tailwind of having a successful company. And there's a lot about building a company that has nothing to do with whatever industry one's in, you know, attracting capital and leading teams and in those sort of things. But it feels like you're edging towards the, the something new despite that being the bigger risk factor? The risk that we're talking about in reinventing and going somewhere else is just more of a risk around vulnerability than anything else. So you had time, you had money, but there's still this sense of identity. Who am I? Who do I want to be? Is, is, is the second act of me going to be as successful as the first act? That's right. That's right. And what are the attributes of what I liked and was good at and what I maybe liked less or didn't like and maybe wasn't so good at of the first half of my career? And how can I find the best intersection of you know, how I want the second half to be? Hmm. So when you're looking at this intersection, 
what are the what are the bits that you can hold on to? So if you're going, I'm looking forward, and I want to make these decisions. I want to try something new. Which parts of your identity do you want to hold on to in this second act? You know, unlike when I was 20, when I started this first business, um, now I have a, a family with, you know, middle school and high schoolers. And I want I don't want to go through the same type of struggle as I did before, meaning, you know, a lot of times it was on airplanes all the time, willing to work hard. But I think it's one, how do I fold my personal life as it is today in what is the type of people that I want to work with? And how do I use, you know, my skills, the things I've done really, really, you know, been my unique abilities, so to speak, you know, where I can bring value. For me, I, I want to really have the opportunity to lead an entrepreneurial organization or or a growth-oriented company. I want it to be in a very, very large industry if possible, you know, and, and one's in tech as well, because I've seen some entrepreneurs work very, very hard, but their just market isn't big enough or, you know, they're in a traditional business that no matter what they do, they're going to be, you know, valued at two times EBITDA or something like that compared mm. to technology that might be 15 times forward looking revenue or, or more. So you know, looking at the type of things I want to do, how I want to interact, who I want to work with, you know, you know people I want to have a beer with and people that, uh, you know, want to invest and grow a business. So these are these are things that I'm looking at. And then there's really the personal side. Um, for me, it's uh, balancing being able to attend my kids. Um, so geography matters and travel matters. I want to travel some, but not a ton. So, you know, taking both the personal, professional and family, um, what does that look like in sort of in the ideal state and, and trying to put, you know, measurable scorecard around it so that if I look at an opportunity, I can attempt to give it a score to see if it's, you know, ranks 80% or greater, you know, in the green zone. And what's nice about it is you've got your, your scorecard has the, the personal, professional and the family. Which which feels quite enlightened, not not purely the business side. The personal side is something that I that I found was maybe not as developed as maybe one ought to be. I guess that's a good thing in some regards because that means I'm I put more attention towards what the family needed and what work needed. But yes, pers- you know, family is very important and works part of our identity. But there's also you know who you're married to is part of who you are, but it's not who you are and, you know, your children and those sort of things. So, you know, it would say, you know, really taking a step back and saying, all right, you know, who am I today? Who do I want to be? What, how do I want to spend my time? And that's something when you're going, going, going uh, in, in one's career, it's hard, you know, it's not something that folks really oftentimes have enough time to take stock in. I see that with my coach clients all the time, just this, A, not updating their personal goals from when they very first started their career because they've never really taken time to look back at it again, or feeling like the family and the personal is the same rather than being slightly different. So it's kind of business one, maybe family one, but it's kind of one of those two, and personal is kind of an unspoken, maybe combined or maybe a distant third. Mm -hmm. That's right. 
So, so for you, when you, when you look to the personal side, what are the things coming out for you? For me, it was like, well, what, what kind of hobbies do I want to do? What kind of traveling do I want to do? How does that fit into, you know, what kind of commitments? I knew that whatever business or company or endeavor I take on next, it has a tendency, just like, you know, that new baby, it's going to take all the time and energy in the room. Um, it's not an entirely bad thing, but, you know, taking time when I didn't have that to, you know, exhale a little bit is, you know, was very much something that, uh, that I, I wanted to explore. I, well, it sounds like there's, there's some fear involved in that. Like, if I do look at it, like, if I step away from my business, who am I? If I have the time to look at things, who am I? What am I going to do? That kind of embracing the potential boredom or exploring the issues that come up is maybe if you're head down for 18 years is something that some interesting things can, can come up. For sure. And there is a eerie feeling when your inbox is empty. You know, I mean, I think that a full inbox, it means that folks, you know, you are needed, usually immediately. Um, so I think when you go from being the center of, you know, a company or, or, you know, and this can be an entrepreneurial environment or work to, to not, that can be, uh, a, a shock to the system. So then it, it really comes down and makes one explore like, okay, like, well, who am I independent of whatever my work was? Um, what are my values, not necessarily just the company's values. What am I interested in doing? How do I define my sense of purpose? Because work is provides a tremendous sense of purpose for most you know, folks engaged with it. But outside of that, you know, you take that away, what does it sort of look like? So exploring some of the same, you know, using some of the same skills and techniques and exercises that, you know, one does in the work world. What is our, our, our why? What is our purpose? What is our values? Um, applying them personally can make a lot of sense, but isn't something that a lot of times, again, you have time to take stock in because we're moving, moving, going, going. Mm. Our companies become our kind of de facto purpose, value statement. They kind of become one and the same. And when, you, and when you were looking at this definition of who you are, was there any any realization around a value or a purpose that that, that really came out? You know, um, my my kids is when they've come to my office before and they asked who what that woman does and what that woman does and what that gentleman does, and you know, it seemed to have be all the bases covered. And they looked at me and said, "Well, what do you do anything?" So you know, I had to laugh because kids are pretty good at you know pointing out some truth with unfiltered, you know, honesty. But so for me, it's really about, you know, facilitating extraordinary. The good news and the bad news is when you say, you know, okay, you're good at leading and facilitating extraordinary. There's a, that's a pretty broad, you know, sort of abstract thing. You can apply that in many, many different ways. So again, that's where I think going back to the scorecard and saying, okay, like What's going to give me energy? What's going to, how do I want, you know, to fill my time? We only have, we all only have the same amount of hours in the day. You know, it might actually be easier if my why and my purpose was, you know, 
I'm just really good at educating, you know, young people, you know, in reading, you know, the options start to narrow quite significantly, but, you know, for better or worse, mine is facilitate extraordinary. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that could have led you down the Little League path. You could be uh, challenging <laughs> could be the next Bill Belichick at the Little League level. There you go. So how does that, that facilitating extraordinary, so we go back to your scorecard and we're going, okay, I've really nailed down this facilitating extraordinary. How does that lead you into what you're doing now? Well, number one, just the process is one that is, it, it makes one feel a little more in control. And that was good for me to say, okay, now I have a matrix that I can, I can apply for better or worse, anything that I'm looking at in terms of an opportunity, um, you know, how does it rank? Does it, you know, and I put sort of metrics around red, yellow, green. So it was about finding that next right answer. So today I am leading a fintech company, a software company called Justify. It helps platforms that are softwares for all kinds of industries make make uh, money or accelerate their potential using embedded payments, so accepting credit cards and ACH, et cetera, lending, insurance, et cetera. So all kinds of fintech tools available for other software platforms and marketplaces. So I was remarkably unqualified, I would say, to run a company like that, at least from a technical perspective. But when the opportunity came my way, they were looking for someone who, you know, they already had the technical lead. You know, you have to learn it, so I had to become less dumb every day. But they were looking for someone to you know, grow a venture-backed startup. So this was an idea incubated inside of a venture firm. Okay, well, that was interesting. They were looking for someone to help, you know, grow quickly to lead, manage, and hold accountable a fast-growing team, uh, raise, you know, many, many millions of dollars, and, uh, and, and, and that had done it before. So, okay, that was checking a lot of the, the boxes. It was in a very, very big industry. You know, fintech, there probably isn't something bigger than that. Okay, too, it, it was with the people, you know, that I wanted to have a beer with and did have beers with and talk about this. So that was good. We're going back, I really was in, on my sabbatical half during COVID and half not. And it was the half during COVID that actually was the most valuable to me. Maybe not the most fun, but the most valuable, and we can get to that maybe in a second. But, but then we started the business, you know, during during sort of the COVID time. So then Zoom, while maybe not the best for everything, it is remarkably good around allowing you to manage one's schedule and get to kids' sports activities and you know be home for dinner and do those sort of things because you know it's particularly particularly flexible in that regard. So I went through the matrix and I felt like. It allowed me to pursue and I was interested in personal growth. It allowed me to fulfill and continue with the family uh, obligations and the type of husband and father that I wanted to be and was. And then really got me, you know, interested and exciting about growing a business a very different way in a different industry. Um, you know, I was in childcare and childcare technology before and fintech, you know, there was, you know, the amount of terms I had to Google was sort of embarrassing and, and, and interesting at the same time, but you can learn things. And one of the things that helped me in growing and leading a pretty, 
large organization with over 10,000 people before we sold the company is that I learned a lot faster leading this company by not trying to know everything. As one, you know, I think the tendency is when you're the CEO and you started the company, you know, you must know everything. Well, coming from a different background, I just started each conversation to say, you know, let's make sure we talk really slowly so that I can. And I, I made it just part of the culture of learning um, out of necessity. And I think it really accelerated how effective I have been here. So it's been a good journey and been ultimately a good, uh, a good transition. How, if, if you could choose, let's say it could be a week, could be a month, could be a year, what do you feel from your experience is actually the right amount of time to, to take stock before jumping into the next thing? At least, you know, one to two quarters. So, you know, three to six months feels about right. I was, you know, on the tail end of, of my year or so off, I was back out and sort of looking at things and I had, I, I felt like I had um, both been able to exhale and had time to, you know, take stock and put somewhat of a plan together. But that three to six month period feels about right. You know, while long weekends when you're working are just great and, and week vacations or holidays are fantastic, but it usually takes three or four days to, before anyone really, really settles into the vacation. And then it's almost time to get to, to pack up again. Uh, Americans were really quite terrible at that. Europeans are much better about, you know, taking proper holidays, but it, it can't resemble someone's vacation. So if, you know, Europeans set the bar of taking a month off, maybe that's more France, I suppose, here than you know, England <laughs> yeah. or something like that. But <laughs> if, if, if your sabbatical is equal to someone's vacation, it probably isn't long enough. Let's put it that way. And did you find, because you said that part of this fear is you take too long and like the conversations stop happening. You're not, you're not in as many newspapers. You're not as kind of of the moment. Did you find having taken that time, those conversations were still happening at a, at a, at a similar rate and the opportunities were still there at a similar level? Yeah, they, they are. And I think that, you know, my wife would notice I was maybe short or grumpy or jumpy around the house. And, you know, I would say, you know, I, I just feel like I got to figure out what I want to do and I got to do this. And what's interesting is you're doing what everyone else wants to do, but you're not being very good at it, you know. So I was so eager to sort of get out and go do things. But a lot of people that are out there doing things just said, oh, geez, I wish I could just, you know, slow down and take a break. So what she helped me do is just sort of realize the gifts that I had, which was, you know, just economically, very few people can like, oh, that sounds great. Yeah, I want to take six months off. But like, well, I'm sorry, I got bills to pay. And, you know, that wasn't going to go on forever. I, you know, wasn't uh, exiting for airplane money without adjusting our lifestyle. Our kids were, you know, private schools and things like that. So, you know, I, and, but but more importantly than that, I think there was something missing when I finally slowed down to say, well, meaningful work was important to me. You know, not 20 hours a day. Like, it's not who I am, but it is a big part of how I get joy and when and and how I get energy so there was part of me that regardless of money I didn't want to not work at this stage in my life there's a certain relationship that you have 
with coworkers. You know, you're 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 a team. You're working towards something. You're solving big problems. And while happy hour and beers with your mates is fun too, it doesn't have the same sort of gamification to it. And I wasn't going to get out of that out of you know fantasy football. So I really recognize that my work is not me, but it is an important part of me. So what you're saying is this kind of win- winning the uh, fantasy football league is not quite the same as raising 13 million for your new business. And one, I'm not very good at fantasy football, so you know I needed to have a different a different hobby, I suppose. But there is a certain juice, a certain excitement and um, fulfillment for me that comes with solving hard problems and you know gaining new customers and bringing them to light and helping them win with their business and you know at Justified now. You know, we've raised, as you said, you know, quite a lot of money. We're building some really great tech and we are helping, you know, accelerate potential or specifically, you know, applied to accelerate the fintech potential for other software companies. So we've looked back at this this moment of sort of taking a pause, the sense of will I be relevant? Is, it, is, is one a trend that's facilitating extraordinary I'm not sure whether you've taken the time to go back and think about this moment again since it happened. But going through this moment again, has anything struck you today from from rethinking about it? So I would say um, I've gained a greater appreciation for the the rhythm, you know, and that there needs to be that pause. And then secondly, this notion of our work lives and our live lives and trying to not live a divided life trying to live, you know, just a consistent life and that a big, you know, having meaningful work is an important part of the human condition. You know, it doesn't have to be work for pay always. It's it's having purpose, having, you know, I have a friend who's a National Geographic explorer, Dan Butner. He talks about the blue zones and the folks who live the longest in our world and why. And there's a bunch of things in there like they don't gorge themselves on meat and live an active lifestyle and things like that. But one of the things they all have is a strong sense of purpose and, 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 and one that goes on in their life. So um, and, and it's not just tied around a, a rat race to a sort of financial end and then retire and die. Well, Joe, thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, good luck with continuing to facilitate Extraordinary with uh, Justify. Thanks so much. As you heard today, coaching opens up a whole range of insights and areas to explore. If you have a potential moment to revisit on the podcast, or just want to learn more about coaching, book in for a 30-minute chat with me at peer-effect.com.